Courage to Hope with Tony LaGreca is a show supporting the fight for sobriety against substance abuse and changing the stigma that comes along with it. Tony has been helping families, friends, and loved ones discover recovery services as well as coping skills for over six years following the death of his own son to opioids. Join Tony and his guests each week as they reveal the courage to hope. Here's your host, Tony LaGreca. Thank you, Ben. Today we have a very interesting guest who is, seems to be working as hard as I could imagine anybody could work. This is Michelle Dunn, and she is a founder of the AED Foundation. She's the founder of Alyssa's Place, and she works with Gamma um, Recovery. Is it called Recovery Center, or what, what's the technical term of Gamma? So Gamma, it used to stand for Gardner Athol Area Mental Health Association, but now we just use the acronym. Okay, and you're the Director of Community Engagement. Yes, so, I am. Okay, so before we get into all of the different things, um, this is the one thing that's the hardest part is like, uh, you're doing all of this, and I know you're doing it because of the loss of um, your child. And could you kind of give us an idea of, what happened and when it happened. So we get a foundation. So uh, we figured, well, we found out about Alyssa's struggle with substances in December of 2011. She was a senior in high school, Um, you know, great kid as they all are, Um, beautiful, smart, was college bound. And there had been some things that had come up that we were kind of a little, you know, worried about something didn't seem right. Um, But I think that it was probably that Christmas that she, um, we approached her about hearing that she had a problem with pills. Um, To be honest with you, Tony, we had no idea what that entailed. Uh, It was new to us. Um, And so that kind of started our journey, you know, on, on with her and her um, substance use disorder. So she, she went to a few treatment centers, um, you know, private pay programs and really struggled. She was young, you know, senior in high school, um, really hard, I'm sure, for her to wrap her head around the fact that she wasn't going to be able to drink or, or party or do anything when she went to college. Um, but ultimately, I, I think that, you know, everything was a struggle for her um, to, to really to get, to get away from the substances. I don't know how far you want me to go into her story, how much you want me to elaborate on her story, because I can go. That's up to you. I think sometimes I think it's good for parents to hear what other people have gone through and and so forth. I'm good with that if you were. Okay. yeah. I just didn't know how much you wanted me to share. So, yeah. So right after. um, So it was right before her senior year in high school. I'll back up a little bit. We started noticing some things. Um, sleeping late. Um, She got a job when she was 14. I worked for a company out of Dorchester called Work Incorporated. So I was an AVP of Employment Services. So I helped people get jobs. My staff helped people get jobs. So as soon as she was old enough to get a job permit at 14, she got a job. 
Um, so, you know, very responsible with her money, um, hard work ethic. And we started to notice her senior year, like right before her senior year, that she she was not, she didn't have money. She was running out of money. She was quote unquote lending people money. Um, you know, she was sleeping later in the morning. She was up late at night. Some of that, you know, we attributed to just being a, you know, a teenager, 17 year old girl. Right. You know? Yeah. And and then, you know, she started to seem to have some anxiety. So we reached out to a psychiatrist and we, you know, set her up with an appointment. She went in um, and, you know, they gave her Prozac that didn't seem to work, you know, in, in hindsight, you know, hindsight being 2020, you know, it, it was really, all the signs were there. We just didn't know what the signs were. I feel like as parents, we weren't educated about, you know, pill use um, way back when she hadn't been prescribed anything. Um, so, you know, like she didn't have her wisdom teeth out. So she wasn't prescribed Percocets or anything like that. She didn't have any major surgery. So it was kind of so like, it just wouldn't have been something I would have thought of, I guess. Um, you know, she comes, I mean, we live in a working class town gardener. It's out in North central mass. Um, we were friends with all of her friends, parents, right? So we, we did the, you say you're staying at somebody's house. I will call, make sure, um, we would never let her go anywhere that we didn't, you know, vet ahead of time. Um, and, you know, I guess there's a reason why I'm saying that sometimes I feel like I have to explain, you know, like that we were good parents. Um, and, and really, I don't have to do that because we were good parents and we raised good kids. Um, sadly, Alyssa had a disease, but it was after the psychiatrist that fall, into that winter that we did, I found out from one of her friends um, that, you know, she had been abusing pills. And again, I was like, okay, Um, confronted her, she denied it. Then things started going missing in my house. Um, And I know my story is, is similar to so many others, you know, but we ended up taking her to, um, a treatment program. Her first detox was at Brattleboro Retreat in Vermont. And they had put her in the child's, like the adolescent um, unit. And I remember her calling me saying, mom, like these beds are chained to the wall and they, they only give you one pillow and one blanket. And, you know, the people that are here are not like me, they're cutters and, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, Alyssa, like you, you have to stay she's like, can I go to the adult ward? And I said, well, yeah, I mean, you're 18, you, you can definitely advocate for that. So she did. And she ended up going into their, you know, detox. Um, and she did well there. She, she was in, she's, you know, was a friendly kid. Um, and she was the youngest person there. She ended up, uh, staying, I think it was like probably seven days in total. And Tony, one of the things that stood out for me um, was that when I went to pick her up, I was kind of like, okay, we're done detox. You're all better. Let's get back to life. Let's get back to planning, you know, prom and all that stuff. And she got in the car after we met with the psychiatrist there and her counselor. And she was, she was upset. She's like, mom, 
you know, I don't want to leave. I'm thinking, I almost had to drag you here kicking and screaming. What are you talking about? You don't want to leave. And she said, you know, for the first time in my life, I'm with people who understand me. And I was like, at the time I was like, that's ridiculous. You know, like, what do you mean? Like, we understand you, like you have friends, like, you know, you're popular and I I don't get it. Um, You know, again, looking back, those were the people that really understood her, right? They, they were fighting the same battles as she was much older. Um, So anyway, she came back, that was her first time at detox. And, you know, she came back and I would say within 24 hours, she was back out, Um, you know, hooking up with friends, getting pills. Um, She did try the buprenorphine route. Um, That didn't work out so well for her because she would sell her buprenorphine for Percocets. Um, And, you know, we did this back and forth, like I said, so like so many other parents stories, um, in and out of treatment, in and out of detox, in and out of private pay programs, probably the best that she ever did, quite frankly, is she was, um, I think was her third detox day, she was at McLean Hospital. And at that point, we had said home is not an option. Um, you know, I have a son, he's younger by five and a half years. I, I worked in human services. I, I didn't want DCF in my life. Um, and honestly, I'm like, Alyssa, you're an adult, like we'll support you wherever you want to go, but you can't come home right now. It's just not an option. Um, so she ended up at this place called Webster place. It's in Franklin, New Hampshire. And um, it was a private pay program run by people in recovery. Um, She did great uh, for about three weeks. Then her and eight other people got kicked out for having contraband. And it was probably one of the hardest things in my life to say, you know what, Alyssa, you can't come here. She's like, well, what am I supposed to do? And I'm like, I really don't know what to tell you. Um, but you can't, you can't come home. I would suggest, you know, finding another program. So she went to a friend's house, went on a run for about three weeks. This was between Easter and Mother's Day of uh, 2012. And she willingly um, said, you know what, I'm going to go to detox. The three times before, like I said, almost literally took her kicking and screaming. I would use the you know, Alyssa, we can do this the easy way and you can go to probably a nice program or I can section 35 you and you can go wherever they send you. Um, Choice is yours. Um, And I was very matter of fact about it. I'm like, you know, I'm not playing this game. Um, You need help. So in that time, again, not knowing what I I mean, I didn't know then what I know now, um, you know, my other full-time job was finding programs for her trying to figure out this system, crazy system. Um, so when she went to Webster place after the three weeks, she got kicked out. She went on a run for a couple of weeks and then said, you know what, I'm going to go to, I'm, I'm going to go back to treatment. So she went to treatment. Um, and then from there, she went back up to Webster place. They took her back. She called herself. That was, that was something that I was always really proud of Alyssa about actually both my kids, but definitely her. She was a strong advocate for herself. She had a very keen sense of what she considered right and wrong too. And she, she would stick up for herself. 
Um, so she reached back out to them and said, basically, you owe me a week because my parents paid for a month and I want to come back. So they let her back. Um, she went back. She was there for 63 days. You know, we had we continued to pay. And honestly, she did the best that I'd seen her since I've known, you know, since she started to struggle. And I was so excited thinking, you know what, like she's back, like she's really back. And she was tough. Like she was a, you know, she was a a tough kid, but um, I saw glimpses of her. Right. So she got her two month coin. She got one for her. She got one for me and she got one for my mother, her grandmother. And she was so proud of that. And, you know, looking back again, you know, I was like two months, that's no big deal. Like, looking back, it was a big deal. 24 hours was a big deal. Right. But at the time I was like, Oh, this is just a drop in the bucket. Like you have your whole life in front of you. Um, so, so then from there, she went to a sober home that didn't last. Um, and she ended up going, getting her own apartment, getting a job, she had a car, she did all that. Um, and how then, old is she now at this time? How old is she? So at this time, she's 19. You know, she's living okay. in Laconia, New Hampshire. She's she's working. She has a car that we provided to her. Um, you know, and she seems to be doing pretty good. You know, um, again, I was very clear, like, you can't come home if you're actively using substances. It just can't happen. Um, and she was very, you know, so she knew that. So she... Um, she worked, she seemed to do okay. And that Christmas, which was Christmas of uh, 2012, she was supposed to come home. My parents were coming from Canada and she didn't show up. And I was like, that's really strange. She didn't call, she wasn't answering her phone. So finally I got in touch with her. Thank God she was alive. And I'm like, Alyssa, what's going on? Like it's Christmas and you're not here. Like your grandparents are here visiting. And she's like, you know, I slipped up, you know, I'm not doing so great. Um, you know, but I don't want to go back to treatment. And I'm like, well, again, I don't think you have many options because now you don't have a job or you're not going to have a job. Cause that very quickly will go away and you're not going to have an apartment and you're going to be homeless living probably in your car. So she decided that she was going to go to Canada with my parents and what we really didn't know is she was, she had said she had slipped up, but she didn't say how many times, but I think she was really back into her use pretty heavily. So she went to Canada, she drove herself to Canada, 13 hours, stayed for about 48 hours and drove herself back because she was withdrawing, um, ended up connecting with a friend, staying with them, getting high, and then, you know, going back to treatment again. This time, you know, I honestly thought it might stick because she was willing to listen to me say, you know, Alyssa, why don't you do something different this time? Like you're doing the same thing and you're getting the same results. So let's do something different. Like, why don't you go to a TSS after, you know, your residential and then go to a halfway house or something like that? So she agreed. She went, um, to the TSS in Weymouth and lasted about 48 hours, then took off. Well, she called, she's like, can somebody come get me? This place is disgusting. I'm like, nobody's coming to get you. You need to stay there until you can find yourself, you know, in, in a, 
program, another program. And so she left, um, ended up with uh, staying with a guy that she had met in treatment. Um, They had been friends, they had dated off and on. So she lived with him from January of 2013 until she passed in 2013. And, and we did pretty good. I mean, we connected, um, we did her birthday. She turned 20 March 9th um, in 2013. And, you know, I mean, Tony, you and I both know, like we do the things like I wouldn't give her money. I wouldn't give her gift cards. I, if I bought her any clothes, I would take the tags off like all this stuff. Right. Because I didn't want her returning it. I didn't want her selling things for money. And um, so then she, she seemed to be okay. She got a little job up there in Wolfboro, New Hampshire. She worked, I think it was the Three Sisters Country Store or something like that. Um, she seemed to like it. And she, she seemed to be okay. And I stopped asking questions too. That was another thing, you know, with Learn to Cope, I, I you know, went to some meetings and I learned that, you know what, I really set her up to lie. Like I'd say, oh, so did you meet with your sponsor this week? Cause she was an AA, you know, 12 step person. And she'd be like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm out with her and I'm doing really good only to find out that that was all lies. Right. So I really did set her up. So I would just say, you know what, I'm not asking those questions. I kept it very like, Hey, how are you? How are things going? How's your job? The weather's nice. What are your plans? You know what I mean? Like keeping the, the line of conversation always open, never wanting to close it down and yet not being, not playing into that. Um, so I want to say it was like the beginning of May, May 4th, May 5th, somewhere around that. She asked if she could come home because her brother was in a cross country meet and my husband had just had knee surgery. And she's like, you know what, can I come home? I'm off for a couple of days. I'll come home. I'll help out with dad. You know, I'll go see Jameson's track me, you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, you know what, Alyssa, you know what the rules are. If, if, if you're not actively using, um, then yeah, you're always welcome at my house. But if you are absolutely not, you need to stay where you are. Um, so she's like, nope, nope, I can do that. You know, I'm, I'm not using, I'm, you know, I have some Suboxone. I didn't ask where she got it. I didn't ask if she got it from a clinic. I didn't ask if she bought it off the street. I just said, okay. So she came home and honestly, Tony, that was probably like, she stayed for two nights, the best two nights that we had had in a very, very long time as a family. Um, we're both huge Habs fans. Um, so at the time, the Bruins and the Canadians were playing. So we were, you know, smack talking with my husband and, you know, just 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 being a family. It was it was really nice. She came to the cross country meet. She helped with him. And I'll never forget because when she was leaving, um, I told her I'd fill her gas you know, gas tank up, we went to the gas station and it was pouring rain. And um, I said, you know, I'll fill it up. So I went in, I paid and I came out and she was pumping the gas and she got back in the car and wound down her window. And before she left, I said, Alyssa, please, when you get back to Wolfboro, that make sure you text me, let me know you made it okay, or give me a call, whatever. And she's like, okay. And she goes, I love you, mama. I said, I love you too. I gave her a kiss through the window of the car. And that was it. And honestly, that was the last time, you know, I had a conversation with her. Um, We got a call on May 18th. It was a Saturday night. And um, 
well, actually it was a voice message. We had gone out for dinner, my husband and I, Jameson was at a friend's house. We came home, there was a message, we listened to it. It was the Wolfboro Police Department, please call us. And I'm like, oh, that can't be good. And my husband's like, I can't call, like you're gonna have to do it. So I called, they said there'd been an accident. So I was immediately thinking it was a car accident. And they're like, no, um, it wasn't a car accident. Um, we believe maybe she she overdosed, she's at you know the hospital. Um, and I said, well, can you, you know, okay, like what, what else? Like I did, I was pretty much in shock. Like I didn't even know really what to say, what to do. And they said, you need to call over to the emergency room there. So I got off the phone. I called them the emergency room and talked to the doctor. And he said, um, yeah, you know, we found your daughter. Um, not they found mine. She was brought there after being found unresponsive. And um, they were going to be airlifting her to Dartmouth Hitchcock in Lebanon, New Hampshire. And I was like, okay, so now we're living in Gardner, Mass. And I'm like, okay, so should we go there? Like, what, what, like, what's the next steps? Like, I, I don't even know. And he's like, ma'am, you should get in your car right now and drive to Dartmouth Hitchcock. And I said, okay. So we went. Um, and, you know, uh, she was airlifted. We had to wait for a while to see her. Um, when we saw her, the, she was in ICU, you know, hooked up to a million machines. Um, they intubated her. She ended up, um, we talked to the doctor who really didn't have much of a personality, who essentially just said, well, you know, I'm sorry, but your daughter's brain dead. We were like, um, okay, um, so what, like, what do we do now, right? So she's like, well, you don't have to make any, you know, rash decisions right now, but you know, it's she's she's not going to come back. And we were like, okay, well, we're we're going to think about that for <laughs> you know a few minutes. In the meantime, you know, I saw a Facebook post that she had put on. Facebook, something about like she accidentally took NyQuil instead of DayQuil um, earlier that day. And, and my parents were coming from Canada again, because it was my birthday the following week. And I called them and I said, you know, there's a, Alyssa's overdosed and, you know, you, you guys need to leave like now, <laughs> like right now. Um, Cause I don't know what's going to happen. I, I, I don't know what the next, I, I don't know what any of this looks like. Right. So my husband, in the meantime, had read some articles about, you know, if there was a brain injury or whatever, you should wait 72 hours. So that was in his mind. That's what we needed to do. We needed to wait 72 hours. So for 72 hours, we, you know, we were there around the clock. We slept there. We, you know, ate there. Well, we didn't eat. You know what I mean? Like we, my husband went to get my son. Um, and, you know, honestly, Tony, in my heart of hearts, I knew there was no coming back from this. I knew this was it. Um, I mean, short of a miracle, which I prayed for. I prayed for a miracle. You know, I prayed. But I also prayed that if this, if she wasn't going to be made whole, then I, I would have to be okay with that too, right? Um, because I didn't want her living a life hooked up to machines because that's no life 
and she wouldn't have wanted that. Uh, it's one of the toughest decisions ever anybody could make about any relative. You know? Oh, it's horrible. Awful. Especially when it's your child, right? Like you bring this child into the world. Like I didn't want to be the person that made the decision to take her out of it, so to speak. Um, so I am thankful for that time we had in the hospital. Those, you know, that was the 18th. I shared a thing about her eyebrows. It was always a thing. Like she was always crapping on people's lives for not having their eyebrows done nicely. So I made sure I plucked her eyebrows. I braided her hair. I dry washed her hair. I did a lot of things. We listened to a lot of country music. She was a huge country music fan. Um, and one of the things we would do every year is go to at least one or two concerts together. So we really spent that time with her. Um, and, you know, at the end of like the 21st, um, they had, they were going to be doing, they did a, um, some sort of a test where they see if there's blood flow to your brain. So it must've been a, like a CAT scan or I don't know, something. And she didn't have any, you know, so they said, well, you know, your time has come and gone. We're not, we're certainly not making decisions for you, but just so you know, this is, this is a prognosis and this is pretty, this is a definite thing. So she was an organ donor. So we met with the organ donor team from, um, I think it was like New England organ donor or something like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I, I mean, they gave us a room. They gave us cookies. I was like, um, yeah. So we had to make that decision. Um, and in that room, I remember thinking, well, not, I remember thinking we had a conversation, Dave, my husband and I were, we're like, you know what? This is not right. Like our daughter's 20 years old and, you know, we, we have to help other people. We can't do anything else. Right. We're, we're, we're we can't fix anything with her right now. We never could. We were delusional to think that we could, but you know, we were, we were bound and determined that we were going to make a difference somehow. We didn't know what that looked like. We didn't know what it was going to be. Um, but we knew that we were doing something. And, um, and that kind of was the thought process and, you know, what gave birth to the foundation. You know, when you go through those memories, I can, I was feeling the emotion in my own body, the memory of, uh, when, in my case, the nurse call from the hospital and just told me over the phone in my car, you know, when I was driving to the hospital. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> and she didn't use the word died. She used the word expired. Like wow. I was like, it was some, some bad fruit or something. Wow. You know? Yeah. So that stuck in my mind forever, oh. you know, and you know, it was actually just shortly after your daughter died is when my son died. It was about, about 10 months later. Oh, wow. So, so I, we're kind of in the same same position as far as parents go. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm doing this show, Courage to Hope, because of the same reason I don't want my son's death to be in vain. And so I've been working hard to make people aware of, of opioids and heroin and now fentanyl. You know, fentanyl is severely dangerous. One pill could kill. Um, you mentioned about suboxidine, just for those who don't know what suboxidine is, it's, it's a, it's a drug that's supposed to 
it does have opioid in it, but at the same time, it's supposed to keep the, the urge down to having stronger opioids. Am I saying that right? You think is you're in the, you're in the field sort of. Yeah, it's, it's a partial antagonist. So it covers the receptors in your brain. It's partial um, naloxone as well. Um, uh, sorry, not naloxone, naltrexone. Um, so yeah, it, it binds to the receptors so you don't have the cravings. So, but you have to take it <laughs> and not sell it. Um, yeah, that's, that's a big thing about that. I, I'm surprised they don't do it the way they do methadone. Most methadone, you have to drink it in front of the person who's supplying it at the clinic where mm. with Suboxone, they send you home with it with a prescription and that's a little different. So the AED Foundation, which those are the initials of your daughter, the AED. Yes, Alyssa Elizabeth okay. Dunn. And what does the foundation do and what are your primary things that you're trying to get out? What's the message? So, Tony, when we first started out, we had a grandiose idea that we were going to help people pay for treatment. Um, I don't have to tell you <laughs> that, yeah. that that's a lofty goal. Um, so, you know, besides <coughs> for uh, Alyssa's initials, it stands for Assist, Educate, and Defeat. And it's assisting individuals and their family in the recovery process educating the community and defeating stigma that's associated with substance use disorders. So, so we originally started out, like I said, we were going to do um, pay, help people pay for treatment because we knew how costly it was. And then from there, we quickly realized that we couldn't afford to do that. And that was a more fundraising than, you know, we were experienced with. So we, we pretty much settled on, we were going to help people in early recovery. Um, so if somebody needed a pair of boots, you know, for their job and they didn't have any money or they were looking for help to go to a sober house or they needed a bus pass or, you know, like things that were under a certain amount of money that we could afford to, to help them with, we would. And, um, and from there, you know, what we really saw is that, in, in our community, there was um, there was a lack of programs, but not not just like treatment programs because we have Pathway House here in Gardner, and that's been around for fifty years this year actually. And it was more like, where do people in early recovery go if they don't go to AA or NA because for whatever reason they don't want to do twelve steps? Where's a safe place? Where do you go? Where do you go with like-minded people except for meetings, right? So just to be social, um, you can't go to a bar um, and there's all like, so, so what do you do? So um, one of my board, board, board of directors, um, Sean, he, he's, we started researching things and we saw the recover project in Greenfield. So we took a ride out there and like loved what they were doing and they're a peer recovery support center. So we were like, Oh, well, that's what, that's what we'll do. We'll open a peer recovery sports center in Gardner. Um, not even remotely like having an understanding of what an undertaking that would be. Um, but we did, we were fortunate enough. We got some funds from Haywood hospital. We got 10 grand twice 
um, with their DON funds, their charitable foundation. And we very part-time um, opened a peer recovery center. And uh, the, you know, the center is called Alyssa's Place, but we actually didn't even pick that name. I, I wouldn't have picked that name personally. I was honored that people picked it, but it wouldn't have been my choice. Um, but we had some peers that were in early recovery that started coming out and, you know, were involved in this whole thing right from its inception. And we ended up yeah, we subletted at Gamma because they have a community-based day program for um, people that have intellectual and developmental disabilities. So they would come in from like eight to three and then from like three thirty, four o'clock on, nobody was using the building. So we subletted three nights a week. We did yoga. Um, they started, I think, a heroin anonymous meeting, just like different things, right? And just a place to drop in. You got nothing going on and you want to, you know, come in and watch TV, come on in. Like we're here, there's peers here in recovery. There's family members that, you know, that um, have people that are suffering or have lost, you know, a loved one that are here, they're allies. So we did that. And in 2017, Gamma purchased a building in downtown Gardner and created um, 12 studio permanent supportive housing units above. And on the main floor, which is actually storefront, um, the foundation rented one side of it for Alyssa's place. And it became, you know, like, like a spot in the community where people that were in recovery or seeking recovery or family members could just stop in. The problem was, is that we didn't have any funding. The other problem was we were only open at night. So what was happening is that we were having, you know, like there was an, an AA, couple of AA meetings, there was an NA meeting, but there wasn't, again, there wasn't that real social piece outside of that, of, of those groups. So um, when BSAS put out uh, an RFP, we, we wrote one and with Gamma as the fiscal agent, in 2019, we got funding for Alyssa's Place. So um, they now operate full time. They took over the other whole side. So now we, we're right on Central Street in Gardner. Um, you know, we have a full kitchen. They have a very lofty activities <laughs> schedule. It's it's so busy. It's, it's wild. Um, you know, they have different groups. They have Recovery Dharma. They have Smart Recovery. They have All Recovery. They, you know, they they do movie night. They take trips. They just went on a whale watch. And what's really cool about it is that nobody pays, right? You become a member. And when you become a member, you're invested in what's going on in that program. And you're able to do these activities for free. Uh, the program director there, Jackie, is phenomenal. She's actually one of the original peer leaders at Alyssa's Place when we started it. And um, she got the Phoenix to come out here. So now they have a night with the Phoenix at uh, CrossFit 696 in Gardner. Just like the growth has been amazing. Um, we're so thankful that our community has embraced us, really. Um, you know, it's it's really humbling. I think that's the best word yeah. I can describe, you know, is I have a ton of gratitude for the recovery community and the people that, you know, have come into my life and on our journey, and have just really been cheerleaders for us. You know, sadly, we're not the only family in town that's lost a child. 
um, which is heartbreaking. Um, but we have a good community. You know, it, it, Gardner is a city, but it's really like a big town. You know, everybody pretty yeah. much knows everybody. So, so yeah, so that's what the foundation has been up to. Right now, though, where we don't have to pay rent anymore and utilities and, and you know, track down volunteers, we're able to spend some more of that, um, those funds that we've raised to give back to people in, you know, early recovery. We actually just had a request today from somebody who was behind on their electric bill and was going to have it shut off in seven days. So, um, you know, the board's going to vote to, to help that person out. So that feels good. Right. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Anytime you're, you're giving to people, it, it comes back to you and returns to you and uh, probably twofold, you yes. know, I, I, I get that completely. And, um, I've done a lot of, um, I, I know you were part of SAD OD um, and I've been in the, running a grass group and running a, um, you know, a facilitator in, in a grief group. And, you know, you, you see the person when they're three months out and, and I've stayed in touch with all of them until now they're five years out and I can see you know, the pain is always there for anybody who doesn't understand. The pain is always there. The, the blank hole in your heart is always there. But you're just able to to deal a little bit better. And you're able to live in society, you know, and so forth. And um, again, the biggest thing that most parents deal with is the, um, is the negative attitude about it. You know, how... The way the way everybody looks at somebody who died of a drug overdose, you know, you know they could die of something that they they were overeating, and they died of something, and, and they don't get the same negative feeling as they get with somebody dies of an we'll, we'll call it a fentanyl poisoning or an overdose, and that's that's the hardest thing that that stigma is just too much, and the outside world needs to know about the stigma because it could happen to anybody, you know, it could happen to anybody. And um, I have a bill before the house in Massachusetts, um, age 48, 14 is the number on the bill. And I'm bringing this up because I'd like to have everybody call their local rep and state, state Senator to help me get it passed. And we, um, we got it out of the first committee and now it's in the so-called the uh, health appropriations committee and we we need people to call and say that they're in favor of this bill and what it is is when uh, anybody 18 or under is getting a prescription for opioids of any kind the dentist the doctor the hospital they have to sit with the parent and explain to the parent that this is a potentially high addictive opioid narcotic and that your child could become addicted and then they, the doctor also has to explain what other alternatives they offered besides, you know, somebody gets a, their, their wisdom teeth out, the dentist immediately writes the order for Vicodin and a Percocet. Doesn't even question, doesn't know anything about the individual other than the fact that they're 16 or 17. And that shouldn't be happening. It doesn't happen in other countries. Mm. And that's one of the things we, we want. And some of that's where I, try to push my energy, you know, to, and what you're doing is 
greatly rewarding having the uh, Alyssa's place. You know, I think that you can go in there and see people who are making progress. I was going to ask you in the foundation, do a lot of the people who are working for you in recovery? So the foundation, we're just basically a board of directors. We do have some oh, people okay. in recovery on there. For Gamma, my, you know, my, my paid employer, yes, we employ a lot of people in recovery. Yep. Which is, uh, is fantastic. I mean, um, you know, we have a lot of a lot of different programs from residential treatment all the way to a peer recovery center. And pretty much everything in between, to be honest with you, supportive sober living. Um, we have recovery coaching, recovery support navigation. One of the things that I really like about Gamma, besides it being a nonprofit, is that all the programs, so the treatment programs, the recovery coaching, the recovery support navigation is mass health driven. It's Medicaid driven. We don't take any commercial insurances. So that is huge for me. Um, you know, they, the pathway house, they, they do take some commercial insurance, but they don't bill the insurance. They're not in network with them. So I think, you know, we take a lot of pride in that, you know, commercial, commercial insurance, you know, is, is fabulous. Um, you know, my daughter had commercial insurance and she went to some really great programs because she, we did have good insurance, you know, but for those, um, that that for whatever reason do not have that and have Medicaid. Um, this is this is great um, that we're able to offer this. I did kind of a virtual tour of Gamma online, and, and did am I correct that they have animals there that people get to uh, hang out with? So and- yeah, so we have a um, a program. We have two programs actually. We bought a hundred and fifteen acre farm. And we have um, a co-occurring enhanced program for men there called the Carly Dollhouse at Evergreen Grove. And that program just opened in November. And we also have ROOTS, which stands for Resilience, Optimistic, Open-Minded, Thriving and Serene for 12 to 24 year olds. And that's actually a pilot program paid through uh, BSAS, um, the Adolescent Young Adult uh, Services Program. And it's free. Uh, well, it's not free. Somebody's paying for it. They're paying for it. But um, but it's there. there's no insurance. There's no cost. But we also are a livestock rescue. So anybody who comes to either program, we incorporate animal care, equine-assisted uh, learning, um, music, you know, art therapy, horticulture into their treatment plan. So it's not for everybody, but I'm telling you, it's really hard to have a bad day when you have like 20 odd goats and they all like really want to be around you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it sounds it's great. A, it's a mat. It's, it's a magical place. I, I, I believe that, you know, we have, uh, we have human therapists, but we have a lot of four leg therapists um, and they are the best because with the co-occurring, that's also, you know, the mental health and the substance use. And a lot of times we have, you know, guys that have tried every kind of other treatment and nothing, nothing's working for them. And they come in just to see them with the animals. 
I mean, those animals have, they don't know anything about you. They have no judgment. Um, they, they love you for who you are, you know, and, and, you know, I, I, my supervisor often says, you know, we ask people that are coming into to treatment to love themselves. Well, most of them can't even look themselves in the mirror, right? They, they loathe what they see. There's a lot of shame and, and, and guilt and all kinds of stuff. So we're not asking them to love themselves. We're asking them to love Travis, the goat with one horn that kind of looks like a unicorn. You know, can you love <laughs> Travis? Probably, right? Like that's a little more doable. And then slowly, you know, hopefully you'll, you'll learn to love yourself. You know, the, anything on a farm, you know, when you go through 98 degree weather, you know, last week and they're out mending fences or, you know, it's the dead of winter and you're having to get up to, you know, break the ice on the animal's water. You know, it, it teaches you a lot about yourself and you know what teaches you how to be resilient. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, parallel learning that, that goes on. It's pretty awesome. You should come for a visit. I just might, and I'd like to work there myself. <laughs> it's, it's pretty amazing. I have to yeah. say. Yeah, I, I get along with animals much better than I think I get along with most people. So that's, <laughs> I don't know if that's the general rule, but that's the way I feel about it. You know, I, I've been to a, quite a few wild safari lands and I even can, I feel like I'm communicating with giraffes sometimes. I can stare at them and tell them to come on down, you know, they can stand in 15 feet above me, you know, and, and they do it. I mean, like this, you talk about the, the one one horned goat there, you know, yeah. when he Travis. comes down or she comes down and 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 uh, licks the side of your face or something, you know, there's that's that's true love, you know, that you can't beat that, you know. Absolutely. Um, I, I I actually have a rescued donkey, a mini donkey down in South Carolina that I'm paying for. Oh, so. we have a mini donkey, and uh, his name is Ferris Mueller. <laughs> oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've got like alpacas, goats, pot-bellied pigs, two big hogs, uh, horses, uh, mini pony, mini donkey, big donkeys. We're also home um, to the Newfoundland Pony Conservatory. Newfoundland ponies are some of the uh, rarest breeds on earth. They're actually an endangered species. I think there's about four or 500 worldwide. And I think there's nine that we have there. George and Emily Aho, um, we're looking for a home. We had a barn and it's been amazing. Um, Emily is um, e um, equine assisted learning certified. So she does groups with our guys, you know, the individuals that go to the the Roots program and Roots is an outpatient program. It's not a residential program. Um, you know, they're able to do uh, another group called the Family Herd. And it really focuses on how the animals interact with each other within a family. And again, makes those parallels to the family and who does, who's the clown and who's the one that's always, you know, kind of the person that stirs the pot. Um, so we have some pretty different stuff going on there. And I think that's what's really um really neat about what Gamma does is that we're thinking outside the box. We actually have a, um, a family transitional housing program that'll be starting in October as well. So we have a lot, we have a lot going on, but there's not a lot in central mass, you know, I mean, we're kind of, kind of out there. 
Yeah, I was going to say that, but you are giving back, and this is part of what the courage to hope is all about. You're giving hope to people that, you know, are destitute. You know that they're they didn't know where to go, who to turn to, and um, and you're giving them that love that they haven't had or they haven't seen. You know, and mm-hmm. I think it's important. And what the human therapists are, uh, are given, then you get the animals along with it. I think that's it's a perfect combination. You know, um, did I hear from Jim that you and your husband have also gone out and done speeches to different groups and organizations? Yes. Yes, and we have. Could you elaborate a little bit on that? Did you go to prisons? No, we did not go to prisons. We've spoke um, for the DA's Youth Summit. We've spoken um, at different things with the Sheriff's Department. And um, we actually... Myself and another mother who lost her son, Kevin, um, we started International Overdose Awareness Event here in Gardner, and I believe it was 2015. And we do it every year for North Central Mass, and we have a few hundred people come. So but my August son is- August 31st. You do that yep. on August 31st. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. And I mean, we're really fortunate. We have um, our mayor here is is very supportive of what we do. Um, you know, he'll even reach out and say, "Hey, you know, we got this opioid settlement money. What do you like? Can we talk about what we should do? Do you know what I mean? Like, there are are you know people that are in service here, our state reps, our senators. They're all very, very supportive in 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 what we do and. And just in for people that have substance use disorder in general, um, which is fantastic. Um, I'm trying to think of where else we might have spoken. I mean, we've spoken with Jim before. You know, we were part of that that first film as well, Tony, um, if only. And my son has spoken like at the Boys and Girls Club, um, different things like that at the high school. Speak to a lot of high schools, actually. If true. Well, some of the best place because that's where everything starts eventually right from from the teenage up, up and on and just to make them aware like my son got um, a prescription from a football injury in the second year of college oh boy and and we neither me nor him had ever heard of an opioid before we had no idea and so that was the beginning of the end and it was um, oxycodone at first and then oxycontin. And it was just the race was on just like the race you were in, you know. And that's what um, parents of kids who have never had an injury have no idea that mm-hmm. their child a month from now could have a broken ankle and some doctor gives them a prescription, you know. And um, that's going to be the beginning of the end. And you're like, no, not my kid, you know. Well, they don't right. know. You know, the other thing is that there's so much illegal uh, counterfeit pills out there now. That's why they, the, the overdose deaths are actually rising, even though there's less prescriptions being filmed, being, you know, filled. But the deaths are going higher because the strength of the fake pills is so strong that once, a, once you're done, you know, if you get a hold of a pill that's loaded with fentanyl, that's the end. Yeah. Um, from what I heard, I interviewed uh, another state rep last week. And what I understand is Massachusetts is getting $540 million 
from the Purdue bankruptcy settlement. And the money is half the money is supposed to be divided up amongst all the towns in the state. Mm -hmm. So if anybody listening has a program in their town, uh, now's the time to learn about it, figure out how can go to the town and, and put in a request for the money and for what reason. I would assume Gardner has a population of about 50,000, don't they? I don't think it's that much because I know we're not considered a gateway city based on our population. Maybe 23,000. I could be wrong. Um, yeah. But we're not as big as Fitchburg or Lemonster. I know that for sure. Oh, yeah. But but you are a central area that people come to to shop and to sure. you know, you're You're a little further west than Fitchburg is. And so... Um, is that Route 2 corridor? Is that the? It is. It is. Yeah. yeah. We have, uh, I mean, we have a hospital here. We have a, a community college here. So, I mean, we, you know, like I said, we're a city, but we're really just a big town. Um, so there's, there's a lot of really good recovery happening out here, which is really good. I'm happy to say that, you know, and you're right, this, these last few years, you know, have been really difficult with you know, increase deaths due to overdose. Um, and, you know, a lot of that was COVID, but a lot of that's people buying something they think is Adderall and it's pure fentanyl press into a pill. Um, and I think we're seeing a lot of younger people that might be dabbling with the Adderalls or the benzodiazepines purchasing something that's not what they think it is. And um, it's scary. You know, um, and, you know, and as I mentioned earlier, in my situation, Alyssa wasn't prescribed them. It was a friend's mother um, who was prescribed them. And for her, though, I mean, anything, you know, most people you speak to, it's trauma, trauma related somehow if they weren't prescribed, you know, the medication, right? Um, you know, some sort of trauma in their life. Um, so I think that we need to do a better job of screening for ACEs when people are younger. Um, I think, you know, um, I think that we do really a really good job in Massachusetts of programs. I think we're really fortunate compared to so many other places across the U.S. However, I think we can always be better. So we've been speaking to Michelle Dunn who is running AED Foundation for her daughter, Alyssa's Place. And she has a day job where she's a director of community engagement. So she's a very busy person. It took me at least five or six weeks to track her down to get her to come on this show. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, okay. So um, we really appreciate your time and effort and all you do for the community. It's really endless. You know, it's just just ongoing. And I really appreciate that. Thank you and for having me, Tony. I really appreciate all you do. Thank you very much. So this is Tony LaGreca. And remember, it's WMEXBoston.com. If somebody lives outside of our listening area, it's WMEXBoston.com. Just click on Listen Live and they can hear the full interview at any time. Thank you very much, Michelle. We really appreciate your time. Thank you.